I want to be as practical as I can today. I want to give us good rails to run on. This is such a, in one hand, such a practical piece of, of advice that we would live our, way, our lives in such a way that they wouldn't fall apart when tragedy happens. That's great advice. On the other hand, this is one of the most important Christological passages in our scriptures. This tells us more about who Jesus is than, than many other places that we would naturally turn. It tells us who Jesus claimed to be. And if you have anything, if I could encourage you to wrestle with anything today, and certainly as we go through the book of Luke, this is the thing to wrestle with, is just two things. Who's Jesus and who's Jesus to you? Like, who is this one? Look, if Jesus, let me say it bluntly, and kids, hey kids, I want to tell you a joke in a minute, okay? I know you're here, uh, so uh, it's great to have you guys. Hey, what's going on? If you're kids, I just want to say Family Sunday is my favorite thing. It's great to see you guys. I'm going to tell you a joke in a minute. But, but adults and kids alike, look, if Jesus is not the way, the truth, and the life, don't build your life on him. Amen? If Jesus is not God, then what are we doing here? If Jesus is God, let's give ourselves to him so fully. Make him not just the foundation of our religious life, but make us the foundation of everything we do in our lives. And I would like for us to wrestle with that practically today. Okay, kids, are you ready for a joke? Yeah. I googled lots of jokes. Okay, here is the best one. You ready, kids? Uh, why did they not play cards on Noah's Ark? Because Noah was sitting on the deck. This, one, this one's a little more nuanced, but kids, are you ready? You, get, you might have to hang in there. Okay, so one time Noah was on the ark, and he was fishing, and he called back to his kids, hey, somebody bring me the other worm. <laughs> oh. Those are all of them. I should, I should have saved one for the middle of the sermon for you, kids. I'll, I'll try to think of one as we go. <laughs> Man, just what's your life? What, what is it that your life is built on? Is your life built on a religious experience? Knock it off. It's not going to last. It won't work. Is your life been built on a series of ideals, concepts? Why? We've seen the way the truth and the life walk among us. Why would we build our lives in anything except who Jesus, not just who Jesus is, but Jesus himself? So the two things, the two assignments for the day that I hope for us to take a look at as you open your Bibles to Luke 6, I'm sure you're already there. Um, our, last, our last time in Luke 6, we'll move on to Luke 7 for the next six months. Um, but two things. First of all, very practically, we'll recognize this passage for the, uh, the invitation that it is. Jesus levies on all mankind to build our lives on him, but we'll also take a look at something that maybe is overlooked in this passage, passage sometimes, and we will recognize this passage for the important moment in Christology that it is. This tells us so much about who Jesus claims to be, and he starts off very quickly. Kyrios, Kyrios, Lord, Lord. Well, that is a weird kind of thing for Jesus to say at this point in the Sermon on the Plain. You call me, why do you call me Lord, Lord? First of all, we might ask the question, a careful reader might go, who's calling Jesus Lord, Lord at this point? Nobody's been following him for all that long. So is he talking about the disciples? 
Is he talking about the people that have just been healed and are now gathered at his feet? I'm asking questions. I don't have a perfect answer for this. Just that if you're reading this passage carefully, it would kind of stand out to you that Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? That's a, an, an interesting place for a comment like that. You know, this word that gets translated Lord is the word, uh, just pronounce it like curious. It's like curios, all right? It means Lord. And in some regards, it means like Lord of the manor, like something if you're, if, like, like Jesus is saying, if you're following me, and this could certainly apply to the people around him. If you are following me, then you should live like I instruct you to live. That makes sense. If you have answered the call to follow me, then you should live like I instruct you to live. If I'm your rabbi and you're my student, then you should live like I, like I instruct you to live. But then again, you would say, man, we just haven't been following Jesus that long at this point of the story. It hasn't been years and years and years. It's been certainly less than a year that anybody has been following Jesus. But that still is a pretty profound thing to say. If we are going to call Jesus the one that we are following we should think about how we live our lives. Are we living in a way that proves that he is our Lord? He is the, the master of our lives. But to a first century reader, there'd be a lot more going on there. The, the word curios, you guys know what the Septuagint is. When you're reading Bible nerd stuff, the Septuagint will be LXX. If you ever run into, so in the LXX, that's the Septuagint, means 70. 70 uh, scholars translated the, the Hebrew Bible into Greek so people in you know, the Hellenistic world could read it. And that work is called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint was the most uh, commonly used version of the Bible. Jesus would have been familiar with. That was like the, when they studied the scriptures. Certainly some people studied them in Hebrew. Many people studied them, the Septuagint, in Greek. And in that translation of the Old Testament... The word kurios is used like 7,000 times. And by far, what it is used to translate most is the word Yahweh. So as Jesus stands and goes, why do you call me Lord, Lord? There might have been some of the people who never, you know, some of these like people from Tyre and Sidon who weren't familiar with uh, the Hebrew scriptures and they might have just got there and go, okay, what he's telling us is if we're going to be his disciples, then we're going to have to listen to him, which is something anybody else might say. But there are these Jews sitting around who know exactly that Jesus has something far more profound to say. Israel, why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me Yahweh, your God, the covenant name? Why do you say that that's me and not follow me? Well, Jesus is making quite a claim there. If that's even a little bit what's going on, Jesus is equating himself with the Kyrios of Israel, the Lord of Israel. So far from refuting that he, is, uh, that he is the Lord of Israel. He is confirming it and saying, so live like it. Israel called Yahweh their curios. And then Jesus stands here in the middle of Israel and says, why do you call me curios if you're not going to follow me? This is a profound claim. 
What you think about God is the most important thing about you. What you believe about Jesus will set the course of your behavior the rest of your life. Is Jesus God or is he a good teacher? You don't get to call him a good teacher because he just claimed to be God. Is he a delusional? Is he somebody who thinks he's God but isn't? Certainly don't follow him. Let's get out of here right now. Jesus very clearly equates himself with Yahweh. Watch, there's more not only evidence of that, but, but um, you know, further understanding of that as we go. He says, so why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why am I your curiosity if you're not going to act like it, if you're not going to do what I say? This is tantamount to him saying, why do you call me Yahweh if you're not going to worship me? Can you believe Jesus making a claim like that? Wrestle with it. But certainly he is saying, I am the one on whom your life should be built, which is absolute blasphemy if he's not God. This word house is something that would have been familiar and important to first century listeners. House is a beautiful metaphor for what Jesus is talking about here as we build um, our lives. Firstly, it refers to the part of our lives that we have control over, that we have influence over, um, and, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm markedly, like, thinking about how frequently Jesus talks about us changing our inner person so that we might grow into the image of, of him, that we might mature in him, and how little he talks about us being world changers. Isn't that the thing? Isn't it every youth pastor's gig? And I was a youth pastor. I totally did it. You've got potential. You live your life for Christ. You're going to be world changers. And that's fine. I'm all for changing the world. But did Jesus teach like that? It's almost always like, take care of your house. Build your house. And I think it's always been that way. Do you remember the story of Gideon? Let me remind you that we should giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, Gideon. You got to get up and go fight Midian. Kids, you with me? It's family day. I'm doing my best. Okay, so, so Gideon saves Israel through a miraculous win in battle. The Midians are defeated because God shows up and does something absolutely miraculous and incredible. But what does Gideon have to do first? He has to knock the idols down in his own house. And God doesn't say, hey Gideon, I'm going to knock the idols down in your house miraculously and then we'll be off to battle. No, it's Gideon, I'm going to, oh mighty man of valor, like we're going to do some stuff, man. Like, like let's, go, let's go to battle and I'm going to save all of Israel and use you to do it. But first, dude, you have got to get rid of the idols in your dad's house. It's amazing to me how infrequently we are called to go change the world from the top down and how frequently we are called to be those that would be so transformed internally that there would be a natural growth in the kingdom of God. The call is first and foremost to build our house in a way where Christ is honored, where he is the Lord of our house, to set our house in order, our lives pointed at Jesus. It's amazing how much temptation, encouragement, like vitriol there is out there pulling me to make judgments about this person and that person and this system and that institution and how little I am encouraged in the world to just be the best grant I can be to just be the most like Jesus I can possibly be. 
Maybe our focus should be putting on, on our house in order. And you know, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to anyway. Um, I am kind of sick of world-changing world Christians leading double lives. I'm a little bit sick of their ministry touched thousands, but they were cheating on their wife. Their ministry touched thousands, but they couldn't be trusted with money. Their ministry touched thousands, but they were mean to everybody. Maybe we should focus on our lives, build our house that would reflect, reflect the lordship of Jesus. And let the natural progression of that be the kingdom of God filling the earth. So here, Jesus doesn't want to talk um, about things that are not in control. Isn't that interesting? Right here, Jesus doesn't have a group of people and he's like, you know how the high priests are corrupt? You know how Rome is keeping us down? Rather, it's why do you call me your Lord, but you don't serve me? Why do you call me your Lord, but you don't act like it? And what are we building our lives on? Do we want lives that can handle the next storm? What are you building your life on? Because when we're talking about building a life, building the house like Jesus is talking about, I think the bricks with which we are building are just our everyday basic choices. Just, just everyday simple stuff. You don't really set on this product. All you get is one day. You have limited energy. You're going to be exhausted from two to five every afternoon. I can't explain that, but you are. You don't have, you only have so much brain power. It's not like we can build a life in a day. Rather, it's one decision at a time. You look back and you go, this is the life I've built. And so as you think about what it means to build your life on the person and the teachings of Christ, I wonder if we would just recognize what his teachings were, that if you are building with bricks of jealousy, it's going to fall down. If you are building with bricks of greed, it's going to fall down. If you are building, bilks, building with bricks of self, if you are building a house of bitterness, if you are building a house of lust, if you are building a house on division and being right and self-righteousness, it will fall. But if we are building our house on Christ and his teaching, if we're building a house where the bricks are forgiveness, the bricks are grace, the bricks are obedience, the bricks are righteousness, the bricks are holiness, the bricks are faithfulness. We're developing spiritual disciplines. We're loving our neighbors ourselves. Do you remember the last couple of weeks we've been talking about blessing those who curse us and doing good to those who would do us harm? As we make one choice at a time, each of those choices are very difficult, but you look back and you go, there's a strength here that's going to give me the ability in Christ to stand during the next storm. Not only is house a beautiful and skilled picture, but it would have been a familiar one. House was a familiar picture that pointed to wisdom, reason, and lordship. And I'm not having to go all that far to get to this point, but if you have a Bible in front of you, would you turn over with me to Psalm 127? Psalm 127. 
This is familiar, but I want uh, you not just to hear it, but I want you to see it. So if you've got a Bible, turn over to Psalm 127, one of the Psalms of Ascent, which are my favorites. I know many of you know this, but let me remind us. Psalm 127 starts like this. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Do you see that word Lord? See it? See how it's in all uppercase? That means they're translating the word Yahweh. All right, when it's in lowercase, it, or some version of Yahweh, Yah something. Um, when the, it's lowercase, it means they're translating Adonai, which is more like Lord of the Manor. So unless Yahweh is the one on which your house is built, you will labor in vain to build it. And then a couple of centuries later, Jesus stands and says, build your house on me. So he is either saying, don't build your house on the God of the Old Testament, build it on me instead, or he is saying, I am, always have been, the God of the Old Testament, standing here in front of you, build your life on me and my teachings. Let's do one more. Um, Proverbs 24. If you would ask a a Jew in the first century, what is the foundation of the universe? What is the the world built on? They would have said God, but they would have equated God with wisdom. Chokmah was the the thing that was at the root of the universe. And if you're going to come up with a concept that is the the foundation of the universe, that's not a bad place to start. uh, Proverbs 24. I see some of you um, looking around particularly in verse three, but let's get there. So wisdom was extremely important. Hulkman meant like, we, it's the word wisdom. Uh, the Greeks used the word like Sophia or Sophos, like that. But it, wisdom was, was this foundational. It's like living the smartest, the best life. It's not intellect, but it's just the ability to make good decisions so your life goes great. It's skill in living. You ever just meet some people and go, that guy's just good at being alive. Like, he just seems to, like, know what to do. Not that he has all the answers, but there's a grace about him. He's figured out how to not let the world ruffle his feathers. He's just kind of good at living. That's wisdom. Wisdom was what created. Wisdom was what sustained in Hebrew thought. Um, And wisdom was what was needed to live a successful, a blessed life. So look here. Start in verse 1. Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence and their lips talk of trouble. By wisdom, a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. By knowing, the rooms are filled with all uh, precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is full of strength. Isn't that different than we would think? How do you be the, uh, the strongest man? Well, it either has something to do with muscles or knowing how to set the router in your house at this point, right? Those are the strongest men. Um, but the Hebrew idea of being the strongest man was to be the wisest, the one who had figured out the tricks to not letting life wreck you 
as you go through it, but you had grown a skill in living. And now Jesus says, I am he on whom your life should be built. So Jesus is either a heretic or he is the wisdom the Jews knew was the right place to build their house. While we're here, and just briefly, the Greeks had a similar idea about the foundation of the, of the world, but instead of wisdom, they would have said reason or logic. You know this word? Say it with me. Logos. Right? Was the foundation. It's great software. Um, no, no Bible nerds. <laughs> Back to Noah's Ark jokes. So this logos was the to a Greek, would have been like wisdom to a Jew. This is the, the truth that the foundation was the foundation of the whole universe. So while a Jew might tell you it's the wisest who is the strongest, who is living the best life, uh, uh, a Greek might tell you it is the logician. It is the, the one with the most reason. And so as John picks up his pen to write, he says the Logos has become a man, and that's Jesus. Man, the Bible's clear about about who Jesus is. Jesus is either telling you, abandon the Old Testament, or he is telling you, I'm the God of the Old Testament. Build your life on me. So he is the wisdom the Jews revered. He is the reason, the logic that the Greeks trusted and he became a human. So instead of just building our lives on concepts and ideas, you know, David and I were talking about this earlier. This is so freeing and so wonderful. We no longer have to sit around and go, well, what? I'm not a man of great logic. How do I live my life? Are there just like the guru on the hill who's the wise guy and has all the logic and I just got to go to him? Or, or am I stuck just sitting here going, with my limited understanding, how do I build my life? No, I can look at Jesus, look down at my wristband that says, what would Jesus do? And I can say, if I can get to know Jesus personally, relationally, I'll know how to build my life. What is it that is the foundation of your life? Jesus is here either saying something that is hugely misguided or even blasphemous, or it is the key to understanding all of life. And I bet, you know, I say this with humility because unless you've, unless you've walked a mile in somebody else's lives, it's, it's, there's no place to judge, but we all know people whose lives just got wrecked by storms. And maybe some of you have had those lives and you're just decades past and just crawling out of that, that darkness. Jesus says, I am reason, I am wisdom. Build your life on me. Is your life built on wisdom? On whose wisdom? Man, there's an earthly wisdom that is good as far as it goes, but it just doesn't protect you from the storms of life. There's this, I love how Proverbs gets going in the first few chapters of Proverbs. Proverbs is, is I'm sorry, wisdom. This Hulkma is personified as a woman calling out in the marketplace. 
and she's, she's calling out, and you get the image of this busy marketplace, and the encouragement is, if you will learn to listen to her voice, if you will learn to listen for wisdom, even in the din of the busy marketplace, that voice is there, if you will learn to tune your, your ear to that. And now, how much more fortunate are we that we can say, we know that voice, it's the voice of Jesus. Live by his teachings. What bricks are you using? Are you building your life on reason? That's pretty popular. We're just a couple hundred years from the Enlightenment, and, and that's something that the Internet says a lot about. And, you know, I love me some scientific discovery. Like, let's go. I'm all for it. In fact, the, the best science, uh, wouldn't we put that in the category of worship? As we would say, if you acknowledge the Creator, studying the creation is sincere worship. That's a wonderful thing. But let's not worship the Creator. Or the created. Let's worship the creator. Is your source of wisdom, are you building your, your life on yourself? Did you believe the Disney princess movies? <laughs> Sorry, kids are actions it. Are you following your heart? If you just keep going and be true to yourself, is that your hope? Little Mermaid, fantastic movie, bad philosophy. You're being told to follow your heart, listen to yourself, do what seems right to you all the time, and it's terrible advice. Because storms are coming. Storms are not only coming, storms are here, aren't they? And I love that Jesus affirms the reality of difficulty. He affirms the reality of tragedy. He even affirms the reality of evil in the world. Who was going to know that evil is real more than the one who would be pinned on the cross, though he was innocent? You know, we may ask ourselves, like, I really love Jesus. Why do I still feel the effects of a broken world? I'll tell you why. Because the world is busted. And Jesus never offered us a storm-free life. What Jesus offers us is resilience is a future hope of peaceful waters. But of a present-day resilience that looks the tragedies, the horrors of the world in the eye and goes, but I know a Savior bigger than you. And though you may wreck me, and though the world is so heartbreakingly evil, it's hard for me to get my head around. Yet I will praise you. I know there is a deeper truth to the world than the mess it's in. So, just briefly, what does Jesus say to do? Three things. He says, come to me. Hey, wherever you are, filled with self-righteousness, filled with self-judgment and hate, apathetic and here to check the box for Sunday morning church, or tearfully seeking, would you just come to Jesus? Come to him right now. Would you turn from your love of anything else? Do you remember what Jim Elliott said, that he is no fool 
who gives up what he cannot hold on to in order to grasp what he cannot lose. I misquoted that, but it's close. Jesus is offering you not only eternity ever after, but a hope, a love that is resilient and tough and will, will, a life that can endure the storms that are coming. But you have to come to him. Whether you're at the beginning of your life and just starting to build, what kind of life am I going to have? Whether you're in the throes of, of marriage and kids and figuring it all out and, and trying to, you know, you used to have, you used to know how to raise kids and now you have kids and you have no idea how to raise kids. Whether you're in, in that spot, whether you are wherever you are, whether you're, um, you know, battling loneliness, whether you're battling a lack of loneliness, whatever it is, would you just come to Jesus? Would you come to him broken and hurting? I say this a lot because I mean it a lot. Do not get your act together and, just, and then come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus. He'll, put, he'll help you put your life together. Just come to him. And if there's like a, a burning in your heart right now, whether you are a Christian who's filled with self-righteousness or whether you have only understood a couple things that I've said this morning. It was just the knock-knock jokes. That, that you understand. Wherever you are, if God is, is drawing you right now, would you just give up on whatever else you were planning on building your life on and, and, and come to Him? The answers aren't out there. They're, they're in Him. Even come sinful. Lay down your pride. Admit that other foundations haven't been good enough. They leave us feeling destroyed by every storm. Have you felt that? Are you, have you built your life on things that every time there's an economic downturn or every time one of your family members says something or every time there's a, something happens in the news, it feels like your whole life is like the big, big bad wolf has blown down your straw house? Man, come to him. Just broken and wounded right where you are. Just even right now in your heart, say, Jesus, I don't even know what this doofus is talking about, but I know I want to come to you. Come to him every day. You don't build a life with one decision. You build a life with a thousand small decisions every day. So if church or podcasts or whatever is your time with the Lord, you need to learn the spiritual disciplines of being with Him every day, of coming to Him every day. The idea of building just can't be an occasional thing. I almost brought, I almost brought a, uh, something from, from my backyard. I got the idea I was going to build guitars, and so I, I cut out the body of a Telecaster. And it, I, it's pretty good. It looks pretty good. But then a bunch of stuff happened. I kind of, kind of gave up on woodworking altogether. And so I, I have this body of this Telecaster. And do you know where it is right now? It's in, it's in the backyard so, it, so Zach can take it to the next bonfire he has. And I know Christian lives like that. They got off to a one-time start said, I'm going to build my life on Jesus, but neglected the, the idea that this is a continually walking thing. So Jesus says, come to me. And then he says, and for those of you who come to me and hear my words, 
Frequently, when Jesus speaks, he says something like, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Um, somebody said something profound a couple of Wednesday nights ago as we were uh, in a Bible study. Come to Wednesday nights. It's a good time. Said something like, what it means to, to have ears to hear is to, uh, it means to have a receptive heart. Isn't that as good as it's ever been said? To just have a heart that's willing to hear from Jesus. So come to him, but come to him open. Listening. Put your ears on. You can come to Jesus with wounds. You can come to Jesus with doubts. You can come to Jesus with questions, but you cannot come to him with pride. Pride is the only thing in the way. You. A sense, an overdeveloped sense of you is the only thing in the way. So come to Jesus. Come to him every day. Come with open hands and don't fight him. When Jesus says, uh, pray for those who persecute you, don't fight him. Learn to do it. When Jesus says, bless those who would do you harm, don't fight him and try to make up, oh, but there's some categories of people I don't actually have to love, some categories of people I don't actually have to love. Don't fight him. Just, just learn to do it. Do it imperfectly. Do it like you're growing, but just listen. When Jesus says, die to yourself, don't argue. Have ears to hear. Instead of saying, what's that supposed to mean? Say, Father, what's that supposed to mean? How do I do it? Teach me. And begin building a life that can outlast storms. The third step, and I think the first two are a little more self-evident. The third one might be a little harder. But he says, if you'll come to me, if you'll listen to my words, and if you'll do what I say. And again, only do this if Jesus is God. If Jesus is a good teacher, but not divine, don't do everything he says without thinking it through first. That, that's true of everybody, right? We've talked about how Jesus taught with firsthand authority that as I stand up here as your Bible teacher, as your pastor, I have zero firsthand authority. All I am is somebody who has studied and read and God has said, hey, get up there and tell them. But God is the only source of truth. And so don't follow Jesus' teaching blindly, willfully, unless he's God. But if he's God, whose, whose words are you going to follow? You got a better idea? of how to build a life that can handle the storms that are coming, that are already here, the difficulties of life, like evil's real. We need to know the truth. When we're talking about living a life that survives storms, really we're talking about Christian maturity, that we would grow up in Christ, that Christ would be formed in me, that we would be able to say, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is not merely a thinking faith. This is not a come to me, listen to me, and then go talk about it at lunch before you do whatever you want the rest of the week. But rather, this is a faith that is not primarily creedal, but is primarily confessional. Which means my pastor and dear friend Fenton says it wonderfully. He says, that means don't tell me what you think what, or believe. You show me what you think or believe. 
if you'll come to Jesus and if you'll listen to his words and if you'll put them into practice, even imperfectly, not get imperfect all the time, just be you. Be whatever you looks like following Jesus. You will begin to build a life full of wisdom, full of logic, full of reason that will sustain through the storms. With, there's no doubt that faith without works is dead. You've come to him, you've heard him, now obey. It comes down to simple obedience. There are plenty of people that claim the name of Christ and then act nothing like him. I bet you if we were to pull the world and say, do you have any problems with Christians? It would be hypocrisy 1,000% of the time. And partly I go, hey, I think some of the hypocrisy you see is imperfection. Am I a perfect uh, demonstration of Jesus? I am not. Neither are you. We're still working it out. But some of the hypocrisy is people that have taken the name of Jesus and just never choose to live anything like him. And that's not a life that is sustainable. Do you want to follow Jesus? Then you got to do what he says. You got to live like him. You got to build a life on him, on his teaching. And it comes down to one choice at a time every day. So if you're 10 or if you're 80, the best way, the most practical way you can live a life that can survive whatever comes next is that you would learn how to come to Jesus regularly. I know this sounds simple, but it's profound because this is not what we're told to do anywhere else, but that you would come to Jesus all the time, that you instead of with pride and judgment, with open heart and open ears would say, Jesus, teach me, and that as you were taught by him, that you would obey. And again, that obedience is usually hard, but then you get down the road, you turn back, and you go, I have a life that is resilient. I have a life that can withstand the storm.